My name is Andy. I'm lead pastor here at Lakeview Church, and we are going to be preaching from that passage in Proverbs this morning. So if you'll, if you didn't turn to it yet, if you'll grab your Bible and find Proverbs chapter six, we will get there. Um, one quick announcement that I just thought of. I didn't even write it in my notes. Uh, I do want to. I have got confirmation from Pastor Josh that they will be moving in on January 25th. So that's coming up pretty soon. January 25th is their move-in day. And so uh, we would love to have a bunch of people come out to their house and help them move that Saturday morning. Um, and it, their, the address is 925 Keenan Lane here in Stoughton. It's only a few blocks from the church. And so uh, we'll send out an email with a little bit more uh, details once I get a little bit more, but they do have that con- confirmed closing date on their house and move-in date is January 25th. So that's exciting. We're excited about that. Let's turn to Proverbs, and the topic of the morning is work. We've been uh, in this series in January called Wisdom for the New Year. Uh, this is actually the third January um, that I've been here, and it's the third January that we've done this series, Wisdom for the New Year. Now, not every January have all the sermons been the same. <laughs> um, it's kind of like seasons. We've had season one, season two. This is Wisdom for the New Year, season three. And what we're doing is we're just kind of bouncing around the book of Proverbs, trying to find wisdom for life. Uh, Proverbs is a book about wisdom. New Year, January, is a time when people often take stock of their lives, set New Year's resolutions. They think about ways that they could improve or things that could change or be better in their lives in the next year. And so I think that the best way to think about New Year's resolutions and improving your life is to think about what God's Word has to say about how to live our lives. Wisdom is skill at life. That's what it is. Uh, And God's word tells us how to live a skillful life or how to live a wise life. God's the one who created life. He's the inventor of life. And nobody knows better how life is supposed to work than the one who invented it. And so we turn to the the owner's manual, so to speak, of life, the user's guide. And we're looking at the book of Proverbs, which is a book all about wisdom And we're going to see uh, different aspects as we go through this series, different aspects of wisdom about different aspects of life, different principles that Proverbs can teach us about different aspects and different areas of life. And today, the thing that we're talking about is work. Now, I remember, how many of you remember your very first job ever? Yeah, I remember my first job. I was a teenager and I got a job at Tasty Freeze. I did not work with Jack and Diane. Okay, some of you are old enough to remember that song. The little ditty about Jack and Diane growing up in the heartland. Anyway, um, no, my first job was at Tasty Freeze. It was this little ice cream shop in Palmyra, Missouri, where I grew up. Little, tiny little town, uh, about 2,000 people. And and I was actually not quite legally old enough to work, um, but they hired I don't know how they had. I don't know how they did it. They hired kids that were not quite legally old enough to work, and then they didn't have to pay us a full salary somehow. Um, but anyway, it was a great job. One of the perks of the job is that every night, you every shift, you got some free ice cream treat. So every shift, I got this giant, um, you know, Skittles and and ice cream and uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and all this stuff mixed together, and I gained like thirty pounds um, in that job. It was a great job. I remember there was one night we were super busy and I was fairly new on the job and we served, one of our most popular things we served was dip cones. So you would 
put the ice cream in the cone and then there was this little box of like heated chocolate and you would dip the cone in the chocolate and pull it up and then quick you had, you know, there was a timing because you'd pull it up and then you'd have to turn it over and you'd give it and the chocolate would cool on the outside as a dip cone. And uh, I was like, we, there was a line all the way to the, the curb and I was doing this and I pulled it up and the, the ice cream fell out of the cone and fell into the chocolate warmer. And so quickly without even thinking about it, I just reached in and grabbed it. Now, it wasn't hot enough to really burn my hand, but uh, my boss had to throw out the whole thing of chocolate, and um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a mess. That was my first job. I loved it. I loved, I've worked um, di- lots of different jobs in my life, but today we're talking about work, and you might think, what do I have to teach about work? I'm a pastor. I work one day a week, but um, I've actually had many jobs in addition to Tasty Freeze. When I was in college, I was a, an assistant manager at a restaurant. Um, and that's how I put my way, work my way through college. And so I have some experience, but I'm not actually going to bring much of my own work experience. I'm really, we're going to be looking at work from the Bible's perspective. And the reason why we're talking about work is because work is a major part of our lives. In fact, some studies suggest that we will spend as much as 50% of our lives working. And that's not like, okay, I'm living 80 years, so I'm going to have a job for 40 of those years. No, that means I'm going to spend a total of like 40 to 50 years working. And I think it depends on how you define work. If you, if you would include like schoolwork for a teenager in, in, in high school, which I would define that as work, it's their work, uh, we, that percentage probably goes up higher. So we're spending probably 50 to 60, maybe 70% of our lives at work of some sort. That's a massive chunk of our lives. And this is a major topic. And so we're going to see what God's word has to teach us about work and wisdom for work. Uh, The question that I have is, are you intentional about your work? What is your perspective of this thing that you're going to spend 50 or even 60% of your life doing? Are you intentional? Do you see work as an opportunity, an opportunity to do something good for another person, an opportunity to fulfill the purpose for which you were created? Do you see work as that opportunity to serve God and others? Or do you see work as something we're forced to endure until we're lucky enough to retire and then we get to live the good life? Right? What's your perspective of work? It's a massive part of our lives. Um, does your work properly align with the rest of your priorities in life? Or are you, uh, are you, uh, do you tend to be a workaholic? Sort of addicted to work? That's my natural tendency, is to work, 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 work. Does work sometimes overtake other priorities like family? You find yourself struggling with uh, time with your kids or time with your spouse or time with close friends because you're always working, always working, always working. Does, does work sometimes override the importance of gathering with your church family to, to worship God? Where is work at in, in your priorities in life? Um, when you think about being on the job, what kind of worker are you? What would you guess your boss would think about you? For those of you that have bosses. What does your boss think about you? What kind of employee are you? Does your boss think, man, I would love to have another one of them. I wish I could clone them. Or does your boss think, I can't wait until they find a new job and become somebody else's problem, (laughs) right? We all have coworkers like that. Maybe some of us are that coworker. I don't know. But what does your boss think about you? What kind of worker are you? Do you consistently, uh, do you call in sick when you're not really sick? 
Do you show up five minutes late consistently? Do you cover for somebody else when they're late and, and kind of pretend like it never happened, right? Like, what kind of worker? Do you, do you use company time to, to scroll your Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff? What, just thinking about this idea of work. What kind of a worker are you? What kind of employee are you? Or maybe you're not uh, employed in a paying job. That's okay. Work doesn't depend on employment. Uh, if you're in a season of life where maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, maybe you're retired, maybe uh, you're laid off right now or you're between jobs, do you find yourself uh, w- without that paid job? Do you find that you struggle with a sense of identity? Do you find yourself struggling with a sense of your significance and your self-worth and your contribution to society because you don't have a paid job right now? Uh, or w- when, you, when you have this time uh, where you're not working a paid job, are you using that time to volunteer, to serve other people? You can still find ways to work. All these questions are sort of swirling around about work. And we're going to dig into this topic. We're going to dig into Proverbs and see what it has to say. Proverbs actually has a lot to say about work. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in Proverbs 6, but here are just a few examples of some of the things that Proverbs says about work. Proverbs 12.24 says, The diligent person will rule, but the slothful, or the lazy, will become a slave. Right? That's one principle Proverbs teaches. Proverbs 20.13 says, Do not love sleep, lest you become poor. Open your eyes and have plenty bread. Proverbs has much to say about work. One more that I'll share with you is Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. So these are just three. If you do some Google searching or whatever, what does Proverbs say about work? You'll find a whole bunch more. Proverbs is full of wisdom and principles and teaching about work because it's a major part of our lives. And before we dig into what Proverbs 6 has to teach us specifically today, I think it might be helpful if we just kind of uh, do a quick overview of what what is the Bible's view of work? What is the Bible's view or or what is a theology of work according to the Bible? And here I just have a few things. First of all, uh, understanding a biblical concept of work, the first one is this, work is not a result of sin. It's a very common thought to think that the reason why we work is because Adam and Eve sinned. And once they sinned, then God assigned them to work. And so work is a curse. And we can't wait to get out from under the curse. We hate work. It's, it's, it's toil. It's punishment from God. But actually, work is not a result of the sin. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, what? To work. Right? This was before Adam and Eve sinned. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to work. He gave them jobs. So work is not part of the result of the curse of sin. It's not, uh, it, jobs are not our punishment from God because we're evil people. Now we're punished to work. Uh, that's, that's not what it is. Work is not a result of sin, but the second understanding uh, biblical concept of work, the second point is work has been corrupted by sin. Sin corrupts everything. It, it, it corrupts our relationships, it corrupts our friendships, it corrupts our marriages and our parenting and our kids, it corrupts our work. So work is not a result of sin, but work has been twisted, it has been corrupted by sin. If you go just one more chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, this is right after Adam and Eve sinned, and here's what God tells them, cursed is the ground because of you. 
Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. See, in sin, work became painful toil. Before Adam and Eve sinned, work was their assignment by God to work the garden. And it was joyful. It was pleasurable. It didn't wear them out. It wasn't a burden. It wasn't a drudgery. But once they sinned, sin corrupted work, and now work is painful. It's toilsome. It's wearisome. It burdens us. It weighs us down. It becomes a curse in our lives. Work is not a result of sin, but it has been corrupted by, the, by sin. The, the third biblical concept of work is this. Work isn't just a paying job. So we oftentimes think of work as a paying job. And we'll say things like, do you work to a stay-at-home parent? Well, we're, we're referring to, do you work outside of the home and earning a paycheck? But everybody knows, if you've been a stay-at-home parent for any length of time, that's a ton of work. It's a ton of work, and you don't get paid for it. Uh, but it doesn't make it not work, right? When, when the Bible is talking about work, and specifically Proverbs, when it's talking about work, it's not necessarily talking about employment, It's talking about work ethic. That's what it's talking about. When you read about work in Proverbs, it's not necessarily a paid job. It's talking about work ethic, which doesn't necessarily depend on employment. Uh, If you look at Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. See, God has a whole life of good works prepared in advance for us, and not all of them will we get paid for. So work isn't just a paying job. The last principle I want to pull out before we dig into Proverbs 6 is that work doesn't end when we retire. That's the American uh, idea that we'll work really hard and then we'll retire and then we'll live the good life. We'll sit on some beach somewhere. Somebody liked that song. Right. We'll sit we'll, we'll, and we'll just, we'll just chill out and relax until the day we die and we'll never have to work again and everybody will serve us because we've been serving everybody else on our jobs and in school and all these things for so long. Now it's our time to be served. That's not really a biblical concept, right? So, so work doesn't end when we retire. Now, there's nothing wrong with working hard and retiring from a paid job, but that doesn't mean that your, your work is over. Look at Psalm 71:18. He writes this, "Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me by my God." And then what's it say? "Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come." See, even when the psalmist is old and gray and he can't go out and farm and he can't go out and work the fields, God's not finished with him yet. If you are here and you're retired, and you're saying, do I have any significance? Do I have any purpose left? God has a plan for you. Whether you're 60, whether you're 70, whether you're 80, whether you're 90, until you draw your last breath and step into the arms of Christ, he's not done with you. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. And it doesn't doesn't depend on whether you get paid for it or not. When I was at Moody Theological Seminary, there was a student who was a few years ahead of me um, in in the classwork. So I never personally knew him. His name was Jay. I never personally knew him, but I heard a lot about him. Uh, He graduated a few years before I did. Jay is the oldest graduate from Moody Bible Institute, from Moody Theological Seminary. He worked for over 40 years as a chemist. And when he retired from his work as a chemist, he felt like God was calling him into ministry. So in his 80s, he enrolled in seminary to pursue an MDiv, Master of Divinity. And he went through the whole process, and then he graduated at the age of 84, 
And after he graduated, he took a job as a pastor on a volunteer level for a really small little rural church. He was their senior pastor, and he was 84 years old. But he was still working. He was still serving God. He wasn't getting paid for it, but God had a plan for him. God's not done with you no matter how old you are. That's the point that we're making. So this biblical understanding, the biblical concept of work, work's not a result of sin, although it has been corrupted by sin. We're not just talking about a paying job, and it doesn't end when we retire. That is, uh, that's, those are a few points that the Bible, when we think about work in the Bible, those are things that we need to keep in mind. But what specifically does Proverbs 6 has to teach us, have to teach us this morning? Uh, the principles that we're going to learn are Principles about developing a good work ethic. Or the question, the big question for today is this. How can we develop a wise work ethic? How can we view work through the eyes, through the lens of biblical wisdom? It's not necessarily work, 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 work. But it's also not rest, 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 get away from work, right? So how do we develop a wise work ethic from a biblical perspective? And that's where we'll be in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. And it was already read for us, so we'll just jump right in. The first principle for developing a wise work ethic is this. Learn by example. You might have heard the saying, lead by example. Well, Proverbs tells us to learn by example, follow in the footstep of, footsteps of someone who's getting it right. Look at verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Now that word sluggard literally means lazy bones. That's what's in the Hebrew text. Lazy bones. Go to the ant, lazy bones. Consider her ways and be wise. Uh, and there are three commands in this verse to go, to consider, and to be wise or to learn. See, what Solomon is teaching is this. Even an ant has more wisdom than a lazy bones. Even a bug has more brains than someone who is a sluggard. It's not talking about a slug like the kind I used to pour salt on when I was a kid. It's talking about someone who's just Lazy and doesn't want to get up and work. And so what he's saying is, go to the ant, consider its ways, be wise, learn, learn by example. Find someone who has a godly, biblical, wise work ethic and watch them, follow them, model them. Be their apprentice for a while, to use a work term. Right? Learn by example. There are many things that we can learn by following the examples of others. I remember uh, my grandpa Charlie. He died when I was five years old. I have many memories of him. Uh, and I learned a lot from him, like how to count money, how to tie my shoes. I learned that a Zebco 33 was the greatest fishing reel ever. <laughs> I learned how to skin a catfish. At five years old, right? Uh, I learned that drinking hot Dr. Pepper out of the can always makes fishing trips more enjoyable. And I learned where Grandpa kept his pack of gum, right on top of the refrigerator, right? Juicy fruit. It was good stuff. I learned a lot from Grandpa Charlie in just a few short years, and he died when I was five years old, but I still remember him, and I still remember things that he taught me because I learned by example. And this works in every single arena of life, not just on the job. It works when we're thinking about following Jesus. 
If I want to grow spiritually as a disciple of Christ, what should I do? I should follow the example of someone who is a spiritually mature Christian, right? I I should learn by example. If I want to learn uh, how to be a good parent, uh, I should learn by the example of parents who have been through some things that I'm getting ready to go through in my parenting. If I want to learn how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife, I should learn from the example of those who have walked that path and are a few steps ahead of me in life. If I want to learn how to uh, manage my money well and, and invest wisely for the future, I should talk to people and learn by their example who are successful and who've done that well. Right? This works in every arena of life. If I'm a student and I want to learn how to, to, to get an A on a test or how to study well, I should learn from students who study well and, and make good grades and I should follow their example. We can learn by the example of lots of different people in any arena of life, especially when it comes to developing a work ethic. And that's one reason why small groups in church are so important. And, and that's one reason why I personally like the kind of small groups that are not everybody in the same age and stage of life. I like small groups that are diverse, where there are some people who are a few steps ahead, and there are some people who are right where I am, and there are some people who are a few steps behind, and, and then the young ones can breathe creativity and fresh energy into the older ones and the older ones can pour wisdom down into the younger ones and, and when you have a parenting question, if every single person in your life group is the same age and their kids are the same age, who do you talk to about your parenting question? Nobody in your life group because nobody knows. They all have the same question, right? But if, you, if you're in a more diverse life group, well, you have people that have been there, that have done that, that have gone through that and I love being in the life group that we're in because it is like that. There are different ages and stages represented in our life group, and and I think that's really important. And we would encourage everybody to be in some kind of small group, specifically one where you can develop relationships and rub shoulders with people that you can learn by their example. Not just at work, but at home, at school, and whatever context you find yourselves in. And by the way, this principle of learning by example, it actually goes both ways. If you surround yourself with people who are godly and wise, you will find that you are learning by their example, becoming more godly and more wise. But if you surround yourself with people who are not godly, who are not Christians, who don't believe the Bible is in the authority of Scripture, they they don't follow God's word, you'll find yourself slowly pulled in that direction too. Right? So, so I'm not saying that we shouldn't have friends who aren't Christians, but I'm saying we need to be careful who we hang out with and, and the balance, and we need to make sure that we have godly people in our lives who will pull us in the right direction. Learn by example. That's the first principle in Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. The second principle is this. Choose to have a good attitude. Decide that you will have a good work ethic. It's a decision that you make. Look at verse 7. Go to the ant, consider its ways, be wise. Verse 7, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. The ant, now literally the ant is referred to as she in the Hebrew text. I think that's somewhat a good word for us men who like to think that we've got the corner on hard work. In Proverbs 6, the ant is she, the sluggard is he. So she is the one that's got the good work ethic. He's the one that's sitting on the couch with a bowl of Doritos watching the game. Anyway, um, so the ant has great work ethic. She has great work ethic. 
She doesn't have a boss who's constantly looking over her shoulder to make sure that things are getting done. But guess what? Things are getting done. She's working. She's doing what she needs to do. She has a good attitude. She's getting her work done even though she has no overseer. She has no boss. So not only does she do what needs to be done even without being told, she also knows what needs to be done and when it needs to get done. She does the right work in summer and the right work in fall. She gathers the food in summer. She gathers the harvest. And she stores the provisions in summer. She gathers the food and the, and the harvest. She does the right work at the right time without having to be told. She is a great example of good work ethic. I remember uh, when I was managing the restaurant, I, it was always frustrating because there were employees that wouldn't do anything unless you specifically told them to do it, right? So, uh, so their job might have been washing dishes. And unless you walked back there and said, run that load of dishes through the dishwasher, they wouldn't do it. So not only did you have your job to do as the manager in, in doing this, you also had to go back to the kitchen all the time, every 10 minutes, and tell them, run that load through the dishwasher. Because if you didn't tell them that, they wouldn't do it. And you'd walk back there, and they'd be standing around, looking on their phone. Huh? What? Sure. Huh? Oh, I'm supposed to work? Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, everybody gets annoyed with employees like that. Don't be one of those, by the way. Um, everybody loves, uh, the, the boss your boss will love you if you do your work without being told and if you do the right work at the right time. Uh, my dad used to tell me, uh, n- never be caught standing around. When you're working a job, if you finish the work that you have to do, grab a broom and start sweeping up or better yet, go ask your boss, hey, I finished my work a little early. Is there anything else that I can do? You know, if you do that one simple little thing, you will set yourself apart from 98% of every other employee in the workforce today. That's just how it is. We need to have a good work ethic like the ant. My dad also used to say this quote, attitude, not aptitude, determines altitude. That sounds like a dad quote, doesn't it? Attitude, not aptitude, determines altitude. And then he would usually follow it up with saying, you need an attitude adjustment. (laughs) And that wasn't always pleasant. Um, But it's true. Our attitude will determine how far we go, how high we rise. The, The person who is only average in their intelligence and average in their gifting, but has a great attitude and a great work ethic will almost always go further and rise higher than the person who is off the charts gifted, but lazy and doesn't want to work. It's not all about skills and talents and abilities and giftings. It's about attitude and work ethic. And am I doing my part? And am I working? Do I have a good attitude? Now, the question is, if we're supposed to choose to have a good attitude, how do I choose that? How can I choose to have an attitude? Isn't it true that I can't choose how I feel? I don't have any control over my feelings. They just, I, I, you know, how do I choose to feel good about work? Well, actually, it's not true that you can't choose how you feel. That's something that our society believes, but that's just, Plain out, not true. It's, it's false. The way to choose to have a good attitude is this. Put your feelings in their place. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. God gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to actually put our feelings in their place. Life works well when we order it like this. This is how it's supposed to order. Our beliefs determine our actions 
And our actions determine our feelings. So what we believe determines what we do, and then what we do determines how we feel. We're supposed to lead our feelings, not be led by them. But in our fallen, sinful human condition, our feelings always want to get out of their place and go to the front of the line. So that every decision we make is based on how we feel in the moment. And everything that we do is based on how we feel in the moment. All the beliefs we have are based on how we feel about that belief. And based on how it's feelings, 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 and how do I feel about this? And and I feel about this way, so I must do this. And I feel about this way, so I must do that. The problem is our feelings go like this all the time. They come and they go and they change directions and they're fickle and they change. And, And we've got to put our feelings in their right place. We believe the truth of God's word. We live according to it and our actions determine our feelings, they will follow suit. You remember when, um, if you've been in a dating relationship, all the actions of dating led to the great feelings of love. All the actions of buying, going on coffee dates, buying little gifts, writing little notes, spending time on the phone, uh, all these things that you do led to, over time, this overwhelming feeling of love in the relationship and then people get married and then they stop doing all the actions that they did when they were dating and guess what happens? Their feelings go and then they say, oh, I don't love you anymore. I don't, I, we have, I, there's no feelings here anymore. Well, because you're not leading your feelings. If you will go back and do the same things you used to do when you were dating, guess what? After a little while, those feelings will come right back. Instead, our feelings get out of their place and they want to go to the front of the line and and that's when things get screwed up in our lives. And so it's the same at the home, it's the same in marriage, it's the same in work. We have to choose to have a good attitude. If you want to develop a wise work ethic, you need to put your feelings in their place and decide that you're going to have a good work ethic. The third principle from Proverbs chapter 6 is to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Learn by example, choose to have a good attitude, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Take pleasure in the good things that hard work brings. In verses 9 through 11, the proverb teaches this point from the opposite perspective, right? So it it shows us the negative example, but it's teaching the positive one. Look at verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? He likes to sleep. He doesn't want to get up. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to do the things that that he needs to do. He just likes to to lie there and relax and rest. doesn't want to work. You know that oversleeping can actually be just as uh, unhealthy as undersleeping? We are a lot about getting enough sleep in our society and tracking your sleep and measuring your sleep and REM sleep and this kind of sleep and and there's all these different things. But oversleeping is actually just as physically unhealthy as undersleeping. According to WebMD, Oversleeping has been linked to a host of medical problems, including diabetes, obesity, headaches, back pain, heart disease, depression, and even a higher death rate. All because of oversleeping, sleeping too much. Now, I found it super interesting that in the article where they were talking about this, they also pointed out one other non-medical problem that is associated with oversleeping, and that is the problem of low socioeconomic status. I found it super interesting that WebMD pointed out that oversleeping is a major contributor to low socioeconomic status. That's not even a health issue. 
right? But that's exactly what Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 is saying. Look at verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man, right? Now the implication by contrast is very clear. While the lazy bones is starving in poverty, the ant has plenty. She has everything she needs because she did the right work at the right time. She stored up her food when she needed it. When winter comes and the harvest is over, she's got plenty. She's got all that she needs while the lazy bones is starving in the street begging for food. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's the application. Enjoy the reward of hard work and remember to thank God, giving all the glory to him alone. See, it's not wrong to have nice things. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not a sin to be rich. It is a temptation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's a strong temptation to pull us away from our, uh, our eyes being fixed on Christ, but it's not a sin in and of itself. And Working hard and enjoying the benefits of that work can be a great way to develop work ethic in yourself and also to teach work ethic to your kids. Allow them to enjoy some of the fruit of their labor. Um, It's not a sin to have wealth. The problem arises when we worship our wealth. That's when it becomes sinful. When it becomes the most important thing in our life to have more, to get more, to have more, to get more. That's when wealth becomes an issue. If you could put wealth in its proper place the way that you put emotions in their proper place, then you can actually enjoy many material blessings from God and give thanks and honor to him and enjoy the fruit of your hard work. Hard work is rewarding and we should enjoy it. That's the point we're making. The last principle, and, and this is what we'll conclude with today, the last principle, number four, doesn't necessarily come directly out of our passage in Proverbs, but it is a principle that uh, comes from the biblical uh, idea about work uh, from overall. The last one is this, put work in its place. Work only works when it's in the right place in your life. So we need to put our feelings in their place. We need to put wealth in its place. We need to put work in its place in our lives. There are two ways that we typically view work. Two ways. Either we view work as your God or you view work as your curse. One of those two ways. If if you view work as your God, maybe your natural inclination is to be a little bit more like the ant in this passage, and, and you're addicted to your work. You're a workaholic. Work is the most important thing in your life. It is the fundamental uh, reality of who you are. It, it forms your identity. You say things like, who are you? I am a pastor. That's an identity statement that's based around my work, right? I am a teacher. That's an identity statement that's defining your identity on your work. I am a mom. That's an identity statement defining your identity based on a certain kind of work that you do, right? So you view work as your God. It's the most important thing in your life. It defines who you are. It is, it, is, uh, it is your significance and your purpose and your meaning in life. Your work is the justification for your existence. That's one way that we tend to view work. The other way that we view work is as a curse, Work is our punishment for sin. I hate my job. I can't wait to get out of this job. I feel like I'm grinding myself into the ground every time I go to work. It's the most awful thing in life. 
the, the reality is that both of these ways of viewing work are really the same thing. Work is the ultimate thing that controls and defines your life. And if you view work as your God, it's only a matter of time before it becomes your curse because work is a terrible God. It can't bring you the lasting fulfillment and meaning in life that you need. Work cannot do what only God can. Work cannot provide you that sense of significance and purpose that only God can provide. There's no security in work. What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you get laid off? If work is your God, you've lost everything. Who you are is threatened. And you see that all the time. People lose their job and they commit suicide. Why? Because work was their God. That was everything to them. That was their identity. And now that I don't have this job anymore, I don't even know who I am. We tend to view work as either a God or a curse. Both of them end up in the same spot. Enslavement. Now if work is your God, you haven't experienced this yet maybe, but how much is enough? How, how much work do I need to do to be significant? How high do I need to climb on the corporate ladder in order to achieve something great? You're always reaching for that next thing because you never know. Where is that job security? Where is that? Where is that? You're always looking for it. And if work is your curse, you're already living in the place of enslavement. You feel the bondage of work, right? Both of them lead to the same thing. But Jesus offers a better way. Jesus offers a different way. Jesus says, don't make work your curse. Make him, make me your cur- make me your, your God. Don't make work your God. Make Jesus your God. Don't, don't be enslaved by the curse of work. Be set free by Christ. If we will find our identity, not in our job, but in Christ, if we will find our significance, not in what we do, but in who we are in Christ and, and who God has made us to be, if we will find that sense of meaning and purpose and justification in him, then, then our entire perspective will be changed. Work's not our God Jesus is, and when Jesus is our God, he takes our work and he turns it from a curse into a calling and into a contribution in his kingdom. If Jesus is your God, if if your identity and your security is wrapped up in Christ, you don't need work to provide you that sense of identity. You don't need work to provide you that sense of significance. Now you're free to work as God leads you to work and to serve him and serve others through your work. He takes the the work and he turns it from a curse into a calling and into a contribution in his kingdom. But it comes only when work is not our God, Christ is. We could sum it up this way. In sin... Work became toil. In Christ, work becomes worship. When we sinned, work was twisted and corrupted by that sin. And now it is drudgery. Now it is hard. Now it is not fulfilling. It becomes a curse for us. But Christ redeems all things. It's not just that he died on the cross to redeem our souls for eternity. Yes, he did that and I'm thankful for it. But he also died on the cross to redeem every aspect of our lives right here, right now, today. And to provide meaning and purpose and significance and love. Because God loves you. And he doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to, to be enslaved under the curse of sin. He wants you to be set free. 
That doesn't mean that your job will suddenly be easy and roses and everything will be good and that annoying coworker will get a different job somewhere else. But it does mean that God will be with you in your work. And it does mean that if you work as unto the Lord, if you point your work to God as worship, you'll find significance and purpose in it that you didn't have before. That's what God wants to do. In Christ, work becomes worship for the glory of God and the common good. If we're going to put all these things, I put them on all these principles on one last slide. This is the message from Proverbs 6, 11, 6, 6 through 11 today. Learn by example, choose to have a good attitude, enjoy the fruit of your labor, and put work in its place in Christ. Let me pray, and I'll invite the worship team up. We'll respond to God's word together. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given all of us to learn wisdom from your word. I pray that as, uh, as those of us who are working in paid jobs or for those of us who are, are stay-at-home parents or uh, retired, that you would find, we would find in you opportunities to do meaningful and purpose and significant work for your glory, that our work would not be a God to us, it would not be a curse to us, that it would be a calling, an assignment from our Heavenly Father who's gifted us and designed us just for this time, who's put us exactly where we need to be, interacting with exactly who we need to interact with to serve your purpose, to show your love, to spread your good news, and to help others find freedom in Christ. And if there's someone here this morning that hasn't experienced that freedom, I pray that you would work through the next few minutes as we sing and as we pray You would work through the next few minutes in their heart and their mind to say, I can set you free. I can lift you up from that curse and I can give you a calling and a significant purpose in your life. I pray that you would speak that truth to them and that they would have the courage to say, I haven't been following you, but I want to. Please come into my life and be my God. And if somebody will say that while we're singing and while we're praying, you will do that for them and you'll save them today. We love you, God. Be with us as we sing in worship. Amen.